electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good morning and welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm David Faber with Sarah Eisen and Leslie Picker. Carl and Jim both have the morning off. Let's give you a look at futures. Of course, you heard Joe just talking about them. You can see we are looking for an up open when we begin trading a half hour from now. Our roadmap this morning does begin with that stimulus reversal. The president signing the COVID relief bill. Just a few days after saying he had a lot of problems with it. Then a timeline to normal. What Dr. Fauci is saying about the logistics of vaccine distribution here in the U.S. And finally, Jack Ma's new antagonist. Why China's tech regulators are cracking down on the Alibaba founder's empire. David. Thanks, Leslie. We're going to start this morning around the stimulus bill. Of course, the president signing the $900 billion relief bill. Diana Olick has the latest for us from Washington. Diana. David, after breaking with his own party and calling the bill a disgrace just last Tuesday, President Trump signed it into law last night. He's still demanding, however, that the $600 stimulus checks to individuals be increased to $2,000. Former White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney spoke on Squawk Box just an hour ago. I think what the president was doing is sort of throwing down a marker for his next political race, possibly, and say, look, I don't think this was enough money. Despite that, the bill delivers much-needed relief to individuals and businesses. It extends unemployment benefits for 14 million Americans. It gives small businesses $284 billion in forgivable loans in another Paycheck Protection Program. $30 billion will go toward COVID-19 vaccine distribution. $82 billion will go to education and $25 billion to rental assistance. It also includes a one-month extension of the CDC's eviction moratorium. As for the checks for individuals, the House is expected to vote on a new bill today to raise that amount, and the Senate could tomorrow. But in a statement following the bill signing, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell made no mention of it at all. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, however, made something of a dare, tweeting, the House will pass a bill to give Americans $2,000 checks, then I will move to pass it in the Senate. No Democrats will object. Will Senate Republicans? The answer to that, of course, is still to come. Back to you guys. Although I think we know what the answer probably will be, don't we, Diana? <laughs> uh, look, I'm not going to say anything in what goes on in Washington nowadays, but it is, it is unlikely. Okay. Diana, thank you. Diane Olick. Uh, Sarah, one would imagine it would be a very different morning had the president stuck to uh, what appeared to be at least his resistance to this bill. <sighs> But ultimately, after four days, Freaking garbage truck, I'm sorry, Monday decide, deciding to uh, deciding to sign it. Right. And it's not, I don't think that Wall Street was worried about it. Stocks rose even when he threw a wrench in the last minute talk saying that he wasn't in favor of it. So this is expected. And this feels a lot like, David, the vaccine Mondays that we've been accustomed to in the market, which is a broad based rally led by groups like airlines and cruises, which are rallying hard overseas and pre-market and, and a lot of the cyclical 
groups. We got word from the UK that they're close to passing the AstraZeneca vaccine and that they're getting ready with distribution plans as soon as next week. And of course, we're still waiting for some of the big ones here in the US, J&J, potentially the next one going through its stage three trials early next year. We should get that. Novavax is still out there and, and Merck, obviously, a little bit later timeline than that. But that, that's the field today, David. As far as the stimulus talks are concerned, we're already getting an upgrade in GDP, partly on the fact that we're going to get another $900 billion in stimulus. Goldman Sachs, as Jan Hatzius, a frequent guest of this show, says Q1 GDP for the next year, it's not going to be 5%. Versus 3%. Leslie, that's a, that's a big upgrade. And it's, it actually changes the whole growth trajectory for next year up to 5.8% for 2021. It is. And as you mentioned, a lot of the key uncertainty factors that were weighing on the markets are not, not you know, I guess we shouldn't we should say contributing to some of the volatility in the markets because the markets are up tremendously this year. Uh, a lot of that has lifted as we look at the, the final trading week of this year. And I guess if you had to point to something to look at moving ahead, it would be these Georgia runoff elections that are already next week. I can't believe they crept up on us this quickly. Uh, that's something that we can look forward to as a, you know, a potentially uh, uncertainty uh, lifting mechanism by uh, finding the results of, of what the, the Senate will yeah. look like, uh, which, is, which is fascinating. As you mentioned, the fact that the markets weren't really that worried about the stimulus package. They, they really seem to shrug off the potential for uncertainty around that. And, you know, I think clarification on that front is helpful. One of the big questions I have is what happens to this Section 230, which has been a big sticking point for President Trump in particular, and it's something that he's hoping uh, to look at in a potential new bill, David, uh, you know, what that means for some of the tech companies. It doesn't seem like he has too much uh, political backing on that front, on the no, Hill. nor does he have uh, a lot of time. Uh, nor Leslie. does he have a lot of time. Yeah, that seems highly <laughs> unlikely. <laughs> He threw it in there in his statement that he that when he signed this bill, but it doesn't appear that there's going to be any movement on on that. Uh, Sarah, I always turn to you, though. You know, some of the other things that we watch and you watch more closely, of course, the dollar uh, commodities, mm -hmm. uh, negative yields around the world, which continue to, I think, set records. You know, as the year comes, as we sort of follow this trading during the course of what will be the last week of the year, anything else sort of pop up for you? Well, I would just say in, in everything you just mentioned, it's all been very helpful for this overall better mood, the risk appetite we've seen in markets that have propelled stocks up, what, more than 65% from their March lows. And for the S&P, where are we? Double digits, 14% or so higher for the year. You've had low yields, and, and they're creeping higher. Well, we'll see if the 10-year breaks 1%. I think that would be a key psychological level. The dollar's been sharply weaker all year long. That's only picked up over the last this past quarter, uh, and real yields are low. I think, David, though, you know, Leslie mentioned the Georgia race, and we talk about the uncertainties. When you look at some of the risks for 2021, which you have to do after a year and a quarter, like we're seeing, of double-digit gains for the market, there is a risk that interest rates go higher and that the Fed, you know, can't, can't necessarily suppress them forever. There is a risk that growth explodes higher and the Federal Reserve has to, talk, to start talking about the exits. There's a risk of inflation. Uh, there's a risk that the dollar goes the other way, stronger. And, and all of these factors, I think, are what some people are looking for. The other risk, I would say, David, is just that sentiment has become so extremely bullish. The Citigroup you panic euphoria models in record levels 
of euphoria. So, so that's the sort of thing that, that I'm watching after this market has just climbed so much. We're in the middle of this so-called Santa Claus rally, which is seasonally very strong. What comes on the other side of it? Is this, is this a market that is setting up for a correction? And if so, those are just some of the catalysts people are talking about, especially when you look cross-asset. But so far, it's been green light from all of them. Credit, dollar, I, all, all of it. The Federal Reserve is super dovish. It's, it's not talking about raising rates or taking away stimulus anytime soon. And that is the underpinning of this entire market. Yeah. And Leslie, of course, the speculative nature of some things that we talk about a lot here in the nine o'clock hour in particular, Carl and Jim and I, um, and you as well. And then the incredible year it's been for special purpose acquisition corporations to the extent that they reflect in some way as well that speculative nature. Certainly some of those companies are sort of development stage, but that will we will be taking with us into the new year as well. Absolutely. I, based on conversations I've had with uh, advisors to these things, uh, it's not going anywhere anytime soon. In fact, a lot of people predict that this SPAC activity that we've seen will actually, uh, you know, extend across the globe. We haven't seen as much activity with SPACs in Europe, for example, in Asia. They're predicting that this uh, whole SPAC frenzy that we've seen here in the U.S. this year will actually uh, cross over the ocean into uh, our counterparts uh, abroad, as we've seen just tremendous tremendous issuance here in the U.S. this year. You've got margin debt at a, as a, at a record. Apologies. Uh, this year, another sign that, you know, perhaps things are getting a little toppy. We saw that happen back in 2008. We saw that happen back in 2000 as well. Uh, three stocks, Apple, Microsoft, and Amazon, have been been the biggest contributors, uh, contributed to a majority of the S&P 500 gains this year. You combine all of these things and you're starting to see uh, a lot of experts talk about this euphoria, this frenzy, whether there's pockets of froth in the market. Uh, Bitcoin, of course, hit a record above 28,000 this weekend. People are starting to talk about what this means for 2021. And as Sarah mentioned, there are a lot of risks out there uh, that could derail a lot of this uh, frenzy that we're seeing, David. Yeah. Uh, Of course, we spent a lot of time talking about our markets and we will focus on some names here. But a lot of it is going to be the result of what we're seeing in China, Uh, uh, Sarah and Leslie, because I I did want to get to the Chinese regulators really cracking down on Ant Financial. This is a company, of course, we talked a lot about, Leslie, not that long ago because it was on the precipice of becoming the largest single IPO we've ever seen. Uh, Thirty five roughly billion dollars was where it was going to be in terms of what they were going to issue. A three hundred billion dollar company was Ant Financial going to be. Alibaba owns 33 percent of it. Look what's happened to those shares. All of this sort of taking place well over this last week and weekend. Um, But even previous to that, back to when Jack Ma seemed to really run afoul of the Chinese regulators yet again. You know, he is unlike so many of his counterparts, if he has any in in uh, in China, uh, been more outspoken. Uh, And it's not just uh, when October when he criticized the regulators. It really goes back to January 2015 when he criticized government regulators then about taking payments or potentially at least uh, uh, having um, not doing their job when it came to really actually looking at counterfeits on the Alibaba site and favoring uh, what he said at the time was JD. It goes back uh, to a number of other times when he's actually said some things and then finally perhaps the last straw for the government being those comments in late October in which he criticized uh, the regulator and and had to pull the pull the deal. Uh, suddenly the regulations changed. Uh, suddenly their business in terms of 
lending, not the not the digital payments business where they are dominant along with Tencent, but their lending business and their other growth businesses were under fire. And that has continued to the point where China's central bank disclosed on Sunday to ask Ant uh, to shake up its lending and other consumer finance operations. They want them to rectify financial regulatory violations. Here's a statement, uh, Ant Group statement saying Ant will establish a rectification working group and fully implement uh, requirements raised at that meeting to bring into line the operation and development of financial related businesses. By the way, uh, Alibaba also, at least in the crosshairs as well, in terms of at least its platform and whether or not it um, uh, diminishes competition in some way. Uh, all of this, Sarah, uh, amounting to a real mm-hmm. blow being struck against Mr. Ma, who, of course, we've talked about a lot and I've had the opportunity to interview a number of times through the years. It doesn't pay to be outspoken in China if you're a, a CEO. And many mm-hmm. others have learned that lesson and keep a very low profile for this very reason. And just like that, the vintage video of Faber and Ma. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it's been a stunning sort of fall from grace for him with the, with the Communist Party, David. One, one question I'm wondering as it relates to investors in some of these hot Chinese Internet stocks is, is this an Alibaba and Jack Ma specific thing with the, with the Chinese regulators, or does this extend broadly to the entire tech sector in China? Should investors in Tencent be nervous, for instance, if we are going to see this huge crackdown on technology, on monopolistic behavior, which, which could ultimately squash you know, a lot of innovation and a lot of these hot companies yeah. and hot stocks that it's, we've seen out of it's China? The key it's question. unclear what, what, what their purpose is. Exactly. Yeah. It's the key question. It's being uh, certainly asked by many investors right now, of course, who continue to be excited by the potential for growth in China and, of course, uh, the huge consumer economy that is still being developed there. Don't forget, Alibaba employs some 40 million people, broadly speaking, not just at the company, but is responsible, they would say, for as many as 40 million jobs. So just how far the Chinese government would be willing to go to sort of disadvantage that company is unclear. But your point's the important one. And it may be that they really are just sort of trying to send a message through their actions here, saying to other CEOs, don't step out of line. Don't uh, criticize in the same way that Mr. Ma has uh, done so. Otherwise, you will fall victim to a new regulation, to something that was unexpected. But it is a risk, Sarah, that we pointed out uh, and others have many times in terms of the government's ability in China to act uh, as it wants to uh, without the rule of law really getting in the way. And it continues to be. So it, it's, it's going to be a key feature. Uh, obviously, we're watching the incredible fall in Alibaba loss of hundreds of billions in market cap from its highs when it appeared that the Ant Financial IPO was about to to hit the market uh, and Ant itself, its business in a very different place now, uh, Leslie, as a result of this change that they're going to or at least the inability to pursue lines of business that really were going to be the key to its growth. Right. And, and it's worth noting that the People's Bank of China's statement with regard to Ant uh, was was noticeably vague, uh, which could indicate your point that this is more of a warning shot uh, to people who want to criticize the government. You have to look at the timing of all of this and say, you know, is this uh, a pure coincidence that it comes following, uh, you know, comments that Ma has made in in recent months and years uh, criticizing the government? 
Or is it something that the, the Chinese government is really taking a harder line on these businesses? Uh, the question, though, remains, you know, what will they do about it? Do they go as far as breaking up Ant Financial? And what would that mean for the systemic nature of their business, uh, given kind of the, the outreach they have across the Chinese economy, across the Chinese financial system? It's a big question, yep. David. And we should add, by the way, that uh, Alibaba did increase it's share buyback. I believe it's now at uh, 10 billion. Before we uh, wrap up here and get to a quick commercial break, did want to get to some breaking news as well. Novavax, that's the latest vaccine candidate to begin phase three of its vaccine trial, enrolling up to 30,000 volunteers across approximately 115 sites in the U.S. and Mexico, two thirds of which will receive, we're told, the active vaccine. Of course, the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines, as we refer to them, are in distribution right now, Leslie. And uh, well, I don't know when you and I are going to get them, but uh, <laughs> but there are certainly people right now who are getting those shots in the arm, thankfully. Yeah, our neighbors actually both physicians got them last week and the week before uh, that stock, though, Novavax up twenty seven hundred percent this year. It was essentially a I mean, a penny stock before they said that they had a, a candidate for a vaccine. So it's just remarkable the type of, of investor reaction you can get uh, for a company that basically had no, nothing in the way of profits until they mentioned uh, the potential here, Sarah. I know it's, it's been an amazing high flyer, but just in terms of timelines, this does put it behind, of course, J&J, &J, which is the next big one we're waiting to hear from, hoping to get that stage three clinical trial, which has already been unroll, enrolled. Data in the new year, one shot could add a lot of supply. We need the vaccine supply desperately, but good news on Novavax. After the break, a wrap on retail as the busiest period for the sector comes to a close. Cowan's Oliver Chen is with us on his winners. Stay with us here on Squawk on the Street. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. The challenges of distributing a vaccine are not strictly an American problem. Seema Modi has more on the logistical nightmare it's becoming in emerging markets. Seema. Leslie, good morning. From Rio to Mumbai, poor infrastructure and high temperatures makes distribution of the COVID vaccine much more challenging in emerging and frontier markets where healthcare budgets have already been strained by the pandemic and access is an issue too. High income countries have already reserved 9 billion of the estimated 12 billion doses expected to be produced next year. Analysts at City warned that it may not be until the end of 2022 or even later that sufficient vaccines are available for lower income countries with fewer financial resources and limited capacity for domestic production, which certainly could widen the economic divide between countries and potentially slow down the broader economic rebound so many strategists are anticipating, anticipating to play out next year. Experts say... Pfizer's vaccine temperature requirement would likely also limit its use in countries like India, which has an average temperature of 80 degrees Fahrenheit and also has a lack of access to those industrial-sized freezers. Uh, India is involved in mass-producing AstraZeneca's vaccine, Russia's Sputnik, and engaged in clinical trials of other vaccine candidates. But the sheer size of the country, guys, 1.3 billion people, that certainly makes 
the vaccine rollout, particularly challenging in that country. As to the market, well, right now the market doesn't seem to be accounting for this specific risk. Emerging markets uh, have been on a big run over the last eight weeks, Sarah. A lot of that having to do with the weaker dollar, uh, such a big part of that story. Emerging markets right now trading right around rec- in record high territory. Less. That, thank you, Seema. Uh, we mentioned BABA down for its second straight session, reaching its lowest level since June, following concerns over a regulatory crackdown in China. More on that story and the opening bell after the break. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Futures pointing to a higher open for stocks ahead of the bell in just a few moments. Dow futures up 186. Merck and Apple rising pre-market, helping out the gains for the Nasdaq. Tesla's up 2% pre-market. PayPal also helping. David and Leslie, I think one of the key questions as, as investors start to position for 2021 and wrap up the year is, is the rotation and which sectors lead the market higher if the market does continue to rise. For instance, if you look year to date, and we're in the last four trading days of the year, technology is by far the biggest winner. The sector's up 40%, and right behind it is consumer discretionary and communication services. That encapsulates all the fangs and all the momentum, high uh, tech growth stocks. And the worst performers, energy and financials. But if you look over the past quarter, and we are wrapping up the quarter, so the past three months, David, It's been financials and energy that are leading after the vaccine data comes out positive, starts getting distributed. There's been a rethink of value versus growth, of cyclical versus the the momentum growth names that sort of always do well. And, And the question is, what does the market do with that in 2021? Does that rotation continue and can it continue to propel the market because the growth names are such a big overall component? Yeah, and they're stretched, although that hasn't seemed to bother anybody at this point. But we talk about the valuations and the multiples, not just to earnings, but even to sales that are uh, quite, quite high in some cases. Although, to be fair, the underlying growth is also quite high. But to your point, Sarah, I mean, last week the financials were quite strong. J.P. Morgan announcing that big buyback that gave a lot of strength to the group. Um, But still down is J.P. Morgan, some 10 percent. For the year. Uh, Interesting. I don't know if you read a journal story about Jamie Dimon and his health and uh, what he went through early in COVID there when he when he had that uh, aortic dissection, I think is what they call it, uh, Leslie. But uh, he came back strong and the stock has come back at least strong somewhat uh, over the last couple of weeks, as you see it right there, even really. Yeah. Over the last uh, couple of months. Um, I do come back to Morgan Stanley, though, and up 33 percent this year as it really has changed the composition of its business mix over time, but uh, perhaps finally getting um, 
what James Gorman, its CEO, would say the respect it deserves uh-huh. from the market as yeah. a result of that change. Yeah, you've got that Eaton Vance acquisition absolutely diversifying there. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, the stress tests from a few weeks ago helped lift some of the overhang on the big banks, allowing them to once again engage in buybacks. J.P. Morgan among the first to participate in that. Goldman Sachs saying they also will participate in buybacks. So, you know, a lot of people are saying value investors, will they have their due in 2021? Uh, I think that's that's the big question, especially as we head into the opening bell of the first or of the last trading week of 2020. You can see there the Dow is up 173 points, Sarah, to begin the last trading week of 2020. Every sector opening higher, led by materials and technology. So growth or value, hey, today it's both of them because you are seeing some of the growth names. Apple's on top of the Dow, for instance, right now. But materials are winning. Financials are up, to your point, David. They're continuing their strong run from last week. Industrials, utilities, real estate. Energy is going to be a key question as well. This is a sector... That's still down 36% for the year, by far the worst performer. And attitudes have completely shifted around all of these companies. And yet, if you look at the past three months, it's done very well. And there's been a huge comeback story here of 23%. Crude oil prices have bounced as the dollar has weakened, as the demand has, has continued to rise, as lockdowns have eased and the economic picture looks bright for next year, David. But I think there is a question about energy after such a brutal year where we saw bankruptcies and all sorts of issues for this sector, including uh, their ability to attract capital in a way that they once did with, with ESG making it through this crisis and continuing to attract a lot of investors. And that, you know, listen, if, if not, obviously, for what we've gone through this year, Sarah, I think we would have been even more focused on the growth of ESG strategies and sort of the, the umbrella uh, over a lot of assets that continues to grow in terms of, uh, of uh, the ability of those asset allocators or inability to necessarily go into areas that, that, uh, that don't fit the ESG profile, that don't hit certain metrics. And energy, of course, is one of the key ones. Although we brought on Mike Worth, for example, from Chevron many times, and he's talked about all the different efforts that company is making to try to solve for carbon. Seems hard to imagine, but they are trying because, to your point, you want to try to at least increase the number of uh, potential investors that are out there as opposed to watching your shareholder base decrease. Uh, We should point out this is, I think, the largest number, uh, largest single dollar number of write-offs took place uh, in 2020 for the oil and gas industry overall. Uh, so that was not particularly strong. Uh, and that's obviously not just here in the U.S., but around the world. And then there's ExxonMobil, which I'll continue to focus on, Sarah, in part because there could be an activist fight yeah. there brewing between the company and uh, D.E. Shaw. We'll see uh, what develops there uh, as it continues to be under some pressure, at least, to change its business, not necessarily about greening the company as much, at least there, is just about capital allocation and what a number of investors feel like has not been the proper approach from that company over time. But to your point, Sarah, the stocks uh, did bounce significantly off those lows. The question is, does 2021 actually hold more good news for them? Yeah. And, and I think the question, well, too, and, is, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Sarah. Oh, no, I was just going to say, just to throw in, because and go for it, Leslie, but just to throw in on Exxon, CNBC did a quarterly stock report where they surveyed 100 portfolio managers and strategists. And one of the questions is, what will be the best performing investment of 2021? Guess what got the, uh, the highest vote? 
ExxonMobil, 35%. Under that was Bitcoin at 26%, Apple, 13%, and Tesla and Amazon. So just to lay it out there for you, Leslie. Sorry to interrupt. That is unexpected. Yeah, that's remarkable because you have one one asset, Exxon, which has been one of the worst performers of the year, one of the worst performing companies in the energy sector as a whole. And then you have Bitcoin, which has gone on this just remarkable tear in December uh, on pace for its best monthly performance in almost a year. So it's interesting. People think on one hand, a an asset, uh, if you want to call Bitcoin an asset, that's been in a position of strength, poised to continue that. And then on the other hand, you've got Exxon, uh, which, as David mentioned, is, you know, embroiled in some potential activist fights. You've got D.E. Shaw. Uh, Engine number one is another one that's kind of teamed up with Calsters, uh, seeking to put four directors on the board there. So certainly some interesting movement on that front. Now, of course, the big question in the oil industry as a whole is what happens to the dividends? Uh, how does the change in oil prices, it kind of creeps up toward $52 a barrel. How does that impact the economics for what these companies are, uh, you know, have been doing for years relative to how they want to really invest and pivot their businesses towards some of those ESG uh, aspects that we talked about, which I think is something that engine number one at least wants them to be considering, uh, especially as it changes their profile to attract some of those ESG dollars. Now, whether that's a trend, David, that continues into next year is one that I think will be really interesting to watch because ESG investing has had so many tailwinds this year, Sarah, in light of the pandemic, in light of some of the social justice protests that we've seen. People have really, really been focused on this area. Will that continue into 2021? Uh, You know, that remains to be seen. Agreed. It it sort of survived the recession and thrived out of the crisis. Just in terms of the best performers right now, and and this is a broad-based rally we're seeing in stocks, It's the airlines and the cruise lines that are leading the charge right now. American Airlines is the best performer in the Dow. Keep in mind, as part of this new stimulus bill that the president signed, $900 billion in relief, the airlines do get their chunk uh, of $17 billion in terms of relief to bring back workers, bring back those furloughed workers. So these names, David, are rallying, though a lot of them are still down 40 to 50 percent so far for the year. And, And there is still this debate over whether... They're good investments because they're just their balance sheets become bloated. They take a lot more debt on. And when and how is travel going to rebound, especially that all important business travel, which has not rebounded, even though despite warnings from the CDC, people are traveling this holiday season. More than a million now going through those TSA lines. Yeah. And the companies have been successful in raising capital. It's something we pointed out any number of times and perhaps something that was unexpected back in March and April of this year. But so many of the travel-related companies, including the cruise lines, of course, have been able to sell a lot of stock, giving them the ability to withstand what has been a brutal period. But your point's the important one, I think, Sarah, when you talk about the long-term outlook for the airlines in particular and how business travel will actually uh, line up there. Uh, You know, Leslie, you and I talk to a lot of executives, we all do, during the course of a day, certainly during the course of a week. And... I still wonder whether and how many of them will get back to flying at the rate that they once did. Not that they aren't going to go places, but there may be a reluctance to, to, to do an hour-long meeting that you might once have flown a long way to do because people are so much more comfortable now uh, with 
the likes of Zoom and the other services? Comfortable. It's convenient. I have yet to find an executive uh, who says they want to go back to the way things were with regard to business travel. I, I interviewed Larry Fink a few weeks ago at a, a conference in Singapore. I was sitting in New York. I think he was somewhere in New York. Uh, and so neither of us had to get on a, you know, a 24 hour flight to Singapore to do this conference. We were able to do it from the comfort of our respective homes. Uh, and so you're able to do a lot more without getting on that plane. You're able to say yes to more things. I don't think the IPO roadshow, uh, most people say that if it does come back, it'll just be some select cities. The rest of it will be conducted through Zoom because as this year has been uh, indicative of, it's, it's clearly possible to speak with investors and to have these meetings over Zoom and have a, a successful, not just a successful IPO, but to have much greater than expected demand for your IPO by just conducting all of your marketing meetings over Zoom. I think most people believe that all of these types of areas of the business world that previously most people said, oh no, I need to look in the whites of the eyes of the executive and, and have that conversation in person. If there's anything 2020 has proven, it's the fact that a lot of this stuff can actually be replaced with video conferencing, which is why you've seen such a tremendous rise in Zoom for this year. I think it's up 450% year to date. It's just become, David, this poster child of the new work from home environment. Yeah. Uh, and Sarah, I can attest to what Leslie's saying because she sits there at her desk and uh, she conducts these conferences I don't ever. I don't get oh, asked. David, he has to listen. I don't to get it asked all. frequently. She's. Oh, I mean, all day long she's doing conferences. She said, I, "I had no idea they were even in Singapore," but she's constantly moderating these things uh, from her desk. So, and uh, and poor David, because we, yes. we do still sit. I mean, we're we're very socially distanced. Yes, we are. We are upstairs, but, but close but enough to hear you at least. He, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, he has to listen to to all of my questions for these conferences. I think he's I, just jealous, is what it sounds like. <laughs> That you're getting all the invites. She gets for the, asked for the for, to do everything, David, as do you. I David know. moderates conferences. He just does it from the privacy of an office. I'm just less organized to actually no, go and find uh, an office to sit in to do these things, you know. I try, uh, I try to avoid it when possible. Um, people are much happier when you're <laughs> no, doing no, it. No, but guys, the... <laughs> I'll be back actually in, at headquarters a little bit later on. So it'll, it'll be wait, nice to see oh, you what guys. Do you, what do you mean? What? For the first time. When? When? Bell, I'm coming back. You're to coming back here? That's amazing. Well, that was, was should have been the lead of the show. I haven't seen you in almost yeah, well, a year. Yeah, well, it's the lead of my next show. Yeah. I haven't I seen you in it's, over it's a year. All right, what time are you actually going to be in the building? Maybe I I'll stay. Maybe, maybe, I think 12, 12 to 1. Okay, all right. If I can get there after, after this show. David, stick around to see me. Wow. I'm just going to say, guys, you know, <laughs> besides Zoom, <laughs> if you, um, I don't have any conferences lined up, so... I'll be happy to say hello. Well, you can step in for Leslie if you want to, Sarah. Yeah, Yeah, I would gladly. I would gladly. Sub in. Gladly have you sub in. You know, we should we should order in lunch in honor of this occasion. That sounds like a good idea. That that is true. (laughs) All right, hey. I just want to mention some of the other stay-at-home winners, guys. Which, besides Zoom, it is indicative of this change that we're all talking about—the fact that we're not seeing each other and being online. The best-performing S&P stock, if you take out Tesla, which was newly added and up 700% this year, is Etsy. It's up 323% for the year. PayPal, Nvidia—that that tells the story of 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 all the changes. And I think, David, the big question is whether that continues. First of all, off these high valuations, and and picking which stocks have staying power in terms of the behavioral changes that we're all experiencing as the economies do open up. And hopefully this pandemic is in the rearview mirror in a few months. Yeah. Acceleration and digitization is really something that will is incredible when we look back on what what it will mean. Yeah. Wow. Look at Etsy. 
Josh Silverman there. That has gone pretty darn well for that guy. Um, and so many others. I'm looking at Chegg here, our old friend Dan Rosenzweig. That stock only up 144% over the last 12 months. Only. Only, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> it had a head start. It did. $12 billion market value. All right, that's enough from us. Of course, you heard the big news. Sarah Eisen will be returning here to headquarters in New Jersey. I bet that got Rick Santelli very excited as well to hear that, who was always at his post. Rick. Absolutely. I mean, I know everybody likes working from home and Zoom's really cool, but I'd rather go downtown and work where I always worked for the last 41 years in the heart of Chicago, CMEHQ, and look at the 10-year note yields. Uh, they continue to hold rather firm. Now, that's a month-to-date chart. And what I find so interesting is early December, we made the high yield close of 0.97. We're only three basis points away right now. If you zoom back, you can see that that's the high close since, well, since mid-March. Of course, when COVID hit and that high yield there was 119, we want to pay close attention to that as we ultimately get closer. And by the way, today's a two for David. We have two auctions today. We have two-year and five-year. And if you look at the complete package of twos, fives, and sevens, comes out to $176 billion, which means it's 36% larger than this package was just one year ago when twos, fives, and sevens were running $113 billion versus the current $176. It just gives you an idea how large deficits we are running, and we're probably going to have to continue to upgrade the size every couple of months because, of course, we're writing even more bigger checks. Uh, and I'm not saying we don't need to. I'm just being the accountant here. Now, if we consider the tens to twos spread, all the yield curve spreads have steepened because most of the heavy lifting has been done by long maturities, tens and thirty yields. And you can see on this chart, we're hovering what around eighty-two and a half basis points, which is virtually the steepest we've been in a little over three years, going back to October of 2017. Finally, let's concentrate on foreign exchange. We all know Brexit's coming. The pound's been doing rather well, but not as well as it was when the vote occurred in 2016. But the dollar index, this chart goes back eight sessions. The low close at 89.73 was on the 17th, and you can see we haven't moved far. And if you open the chart up to when the last time we're at that level, well, it was April of 2018, and the dollar index continues to just bump along the bottom, and it most likely would be the most active trade moving into 2021 to see if we're going to be able to hold that 90 or not. Many think we're going to be visiting lower levels. David, Leslie, Sarah, back to you. Rick Santelli, thank you very much. So which sectors will do best the first term of a Biden administration? Our CNBC quarterly stock report says discretionary names. You can read the full results and investor insight only on CNBC.com. It is up live. We're back in just a moment here on Squawk on the Street. Welcome back. Latest data from MasterCard spending polls shows retail sales grew during this holiday season, but not by much, with the year's theme being the accelerated spending online. Joining us now with his insights is Cowan Senior Retail Analyst Oliver Chen. Oliver, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Those, that data showed that uh, U.S. retail sales rose 2.4% between November 1st and Christmas Eve compared with the same period last year. How broad-based or narrow was that spending growth? Thanks for having me. Great being here. Season's greetings. So our Cowan estimate was 1% to 3%. 
it's right in line with what we were thinking. Uh, as far as what's happening in retail, there's a lot of bifurcation. For example, mall-based retailers are under a lot of pressure. However, retailers like Walmart, Costco, and Target are succeeding and thriving. So one theme for holidays, definitely bifurcation, this K-shaped economy, a higher end doing better, and then a lower end really looking for deep value. And retailers that are essential, like grocery and food, really outperforming. Apparel has been very tough. And digital has been outstanding, as we all know, in terms of digital growth being up 50% or more. Yeah, it, as you mentioned, uh, that, that same data showing that online sales grew 47.2% during the holiday season versus a year ago. Do you think that number would have been even higher if not for all of the concerns surrounding shipping delays for Christmas? Yeah, we see continued growth in digital. The shipping delays were well known. Uh, however, shipping delays definitely had been a big impact. What happened with retail is a lot of the companies really encouraged shoppers to come out early, as early as October, uh, to avoid uh, these problems as much as possible. But I think gift cards, curbside pickup, e-commerce, uh, all these factors uh, really led to, to try to get customers' packages in time for Christmas as well or, or other methodologies. Oliver, it's Sarah. I'm looking at some of your top picks for 2021, and I see at the top of your list is Peloton, which since March 12th, which is I think the last time I saw David Faber, the stock is up 750 percent. It's trading at what, 450, 460 times next year's earnings? Why, why is this still a good bet for even when we do get vaccinated? Peloton's built a really awesome business in terms of really integrating community. There's also a very high net promoter score in terms of customers being very satisfied. And the, the churn and the turnover is quite, quite low. Um, so that complete vertical integration, the community, the at-home revolution, uh, they've really built a great sustainable business model with lots of innovation in the future, too. We think content, this at-home revolution, as well as the whole health and wellness movement, very important structural trends, which will continue to be true as well. We like Planet Fitness as well. As we think about the vaccination visibility ahead, Planet Fitness, Ulta, those are other ideas we would look at as well as Revolve. Revolve, the clothing store online. Yeah, I'm yeah. just going to ask you, if, if you have a view, which a lot of people do, that next year is going to be a good one for the consumer. We're coming off of a, we're getting another stimulus package where we are going to get checks on clear, 600, 2,000, more unemployment benefits, and hopefully the vaccine, and that will allow people to go out and shop again. Which, which retailers are best positioned for a comeback off of the major traffic declines that we saw this year? Yeah, we're optimistic. We're optimistic for that happening. I think there's a, a long uh, pent-up demand and, and dressing up and being out again. Retailers like Ulta, the beauty retailer, we like a lot, as well as Planet Fitness. And Revolve has a big dress collection as well. The shopping mall's been under a lot of pressure. As you know, mall traffic is down 30 to 50 percent. Um, that should get better. So hopefully department stores and specialty retailers in the mall uh, may improve as we look to visibility on the vaccination as well as a better environment. A stimulus should help, too. Um, so we would look at mall-based retailers as well as retailers like Revolve, Planet, and Ulta. Oliver, though, we've talked to you about the demise of the mall for years now. I mean, you may see more traffic coming back next year. That's not hard to imagine, given what it looked like during 2020. But long term, are you bullish uh, on sort of mall-based retailers? 
we're cautious. I would say um, the mall continues to evolve. There will be more closures. A big problem is the future of restaurants and movies in the mall. Uh, so we'll have to watch that. And also, as department stores have closures, that will have more negative impact on more closures, given anchors carried a lot of traffic. Uh, so there'll be intensification. The best malls will get better. That's only about 20 to 30 percent of total malls. And closures will continue to happen over the next few years. And closures have been accelerated. A lot of retailers can renegotiate leases and will have lease renewals up as much as 25% of their store bases in the next few years. So that will be an area of a lot of disruption. We're more positive on digital models such as Farfetch, such as the Real Real, and others. And also this digital plus physical integration. Walmart's a great example with curbside pickup, Target becoming America's easiest place to shop, and Costco's made a lot of innovations as well. Uh, so this convergence theme, the digital theme, uh, and the caution of the mall, that will continue to be true. Uh, stores are really changing. Stores are really becoming hubs more than anything else, but there's a lot of lower productive, unproductive uh, mall space, which will still have to be rationalized. And 2021 uh, could be the year that we really see that transformation. Oliver, thank you for joining us. Happy holidays. Where will interest rates be by the end of 2021? Investors in our CNBC quarterly stock report say they're going higher. You can read the latest and the full results on CNBC.com. By the way, we are seeing record intraday highs for the Dow, the S&P, the NASDAQ, and the Russell 2000. Squawk on the Street will be right back. You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.